Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. It is another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast, episode 19. Hey, it is I, Jason A. Meiske, your guide to the new authors uh, represented here each week. Um, yeah, I guess that, that'd be one way to put it, huh? I'm just so happy that uh, that you came back. I, I hope you're subscribed so that way you don't ever miss an episode. Uh, if you haven't, make sure you head on over to iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening and click that button to subscribe, and it gets just downloaded, boom, right into your device, wherever it is that you're listening. Man, we've got such a fun, fun episode today. Uh, my guest is Matt Betts. Matt is an Ohio native, and man, he is one eclectic writer with sci-fi, steampunk, alternate history, supernatural poetry, sci-fi poetry. I, I mean, man, it was a, a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, so much great stuff within the interview that we went a little longer than usual. So let me go ahead and just uh, say our quick thanks for the week. As always, we want to we want to make sure and thank Podcast Garden for being the host site for our show. Podcast Garden has all kinds of other shows on there. If you're looking for entertainment of any sorts, it's about everything to suit your need. Make sure to check them out at podcastgarden.com. And if, if you ever had the idea to create your own podcast, then make sure you get on over there. Podcast Garden, you just create your name, upload your file, fill out a little bit of information, and boom, you are off and running, and it's free to start. So you get yourself a 30-day window to begin with, so check it out, podcastgarden.com. I also want to make sure and give a big shout-out to our sponsor, Ustorall of Warrensburg, Missouri. Ustorall is the premium location for self-storage, in the central Johnson County area, they offer a wide range of self-storage in climate control, non-climate control. The, the whole place is fenced in with gated access. You get your own private gate code that's never reissued. They have over 40 cameras recording 24 hours a day. The whole place has concrete driveways. It's regularly people comment on how clean this place is. And it's well lit all night long. So, I mean, would you like to store your belongings some place that's clean and is secure, well then Ustorall is the place to go. So check them out online at ustorall.net. That is the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L. Anyway, so as I was saying, uh, we were talking about Matt Betts. Uh, you know, I mean, we had we had just a fantastic conversation. Uh, Matt and I, I think we're around the same age. Uh, that, that time frame, we definitely, uh, we kind of got sidetracked. I think we probably talked for a good 20, 30 minutes before before the interview even began um I, in fact i had to sit down and start writing notes about okay here's the start time of the actual interview so that way i could just cut out all the rest of it <laughs> so uh but he was he was a blast to talk to you know we were discussing toys of the 80s and stuff we grew up with and, uh, and you know, back in the 70s shows that we went to anyway but that's you know that's not really important to you guys you're here to hear about his story uh well Another thing about Matt, too, is that he, he is a member of a local writing group, and he credits them for a lot of his success and for even becoming a writer today. So, I mean, that is something that I am also a huge believer in. My local writing group, they are, you know, the best way to put it, I guess, is they, that writing group I'm a part of, they are like the lifeblood. They really have helped me a lot, and 
Um, you know, they, they've really made me into a writer that I can, uh, they, they've helped me believe in me becoming somebody who can be a writer. So that's, that's really cool stuff. And, and Matt, you know, to share some of his stories about that as well, that, you know, he, he feels much the same way. Uh, he's got his, uh, he's got four books out so far, plus two sci-fi poetry books. Uh, he writes through a small press called Raw Dog Screaming Press. So it sounds like they are pretty cool. Like I say, he's got an eclectic collection of books. Uh, you know, the one that's getting ready to come out, it's going to be dropping here in just a couple of days. The Boogeyman's Intern. It comes out on June 1st. I've been reading it. I've got a copy of it, uh, an advanced copy. And holy cow, you guys are going to love it. It is, uh, I mean, if the name itself doesn't set you off, you know, The Boogeyman's Intern, uh, you know, you, you really need to check it out. It's It's been likened to Monsters, Inc. meets Chinatown. So let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> anyway, hey, I'm going to go ahead and uh, hand things over. We're going to get on over to our interview with Matt Betts and uh, talking about uh, his journey as a writer. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll just get on over there. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. My guest today is Matt Betts. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks a lot. How about yourself? Oh, very well, thank you. Hey, welcome oh, to the show. Thanks, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I, uh, I've been an Ohio native. Uh, I've uh, lived all around the state, kind of went to school in uh, Toledo. I lived in Cleveland and I uh, live in Columbus now. I've been writing for, you know, I've been writing for most of my life. I, you know, I wrote when I was a kid, but, you know, nothing serious. I wasn't trying to get published at eight or anything. But um, I tried to write a little bit in uh, college, but with the professors I had, they uh, they were more interested in serious literature than, you know, uh, vampires and robots and things like that. So I really didn't get serious about writing until I probably moved to Columbus here around 2000. I got into a writing group and um, that was probably the best thing I could have done for myself uh, as far as, you know, just being interested in writing. Um, I found this great group and uh, they're, they're still uh, meeting. I haven't been regular there for a while, but, um, you know, we, at the, you know, in the early days, we, we, we all learned everything together and uh, one of us would you know, submit somewhere and report back on how it went or how they did it. Or if they went to another writer's conference, uh, they reported back on what they learned and, you know, so for years we just, uh, you know, we we worked on it and we we critiqued each other's work and and did whatever we could to make our writing better. And then you know started, you know, getting out there and getting serious. I started publishing early in two thousands, you know, like two thousand four or something. I had like I, I write some poetry as well, and I think the first things I got published were probably some poems uh, that I wrote while I was trying to write a novel. You know, when you get writer's block and you just can't figure it out, I would uh, I would start writing poetry. Uh, it's something I learned from a conference about. Uh, sci-fi poetry and horror poetry and stuff like that and that was a lot of fun and i still do it i have a couple of collections out there and uh my first book uh oddman out came out in 2013 and my new one's coming out here uh june 1st you know so i i've been working on it i teach here and there you know i i try to attend as much as i can to learn and uh, if i can pass something along to other people at workshops or conventions uh, i try to very nice yeah that's uh I'm, I'm part of a local group as well we get together twice a month and that's that's just great. You get a right. It's all about the people. You get the right, right. group and the right, awesome. right a group of people together. And once you get in there, people find things that you just wouldn't have realized on your own. 
you know, you, you have that little bubble as a writer sometimes, especially when you're new, that, you know, you wouldn't think to question your own, you know, characters or, or motivations, whereas other people reading are going to get, get it right away. You know, you're just too close to it. So yeah, I, I, had I not get into a writing group, I, I, I probably wouldn't, you know, have published the novels. I probably wouldn't be a writer today, to be honest. Um, it was that supportive, you know, that that great of a, a support group, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And and uh, you know, going through your catalog here, I mean, you've got uh, you got several books uh, up here. I was looking through your Amazon earlier. I mean, just some amazing covers that just that you know they're begging me to read them, and I love. <laughs> I love looking at your, uh, your, uh, your, your story on here talking about uh, being inspired by old cartoons, sci-fi pulp, nerdy stuff. Where, so, I mean, you've got a wide variety of, of things that you like to write about. Do you have a, a favorite genre? I so don't far? really. And, you know, I, I, I love sci-fi, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I love just about everything in sci-fi. You know, I, I, my first book was Steampunk, and I love doing that. Another, my next book was uh, uh, Urban Fantasy, but it had a little tinge of sci-fi. I think because I, I really grew up on that. You know, I remember, you know, growing up in the, you know, the dark ages when we had, uh, I lived in uh, uh, Lima's where I grew up. And so we were kind of in between all of these television stations. You know, Columbus was an hour and a half away. Toledo was an hour away. So we really didn't get much. And I remember having that antenna that we had to keep turning until I finally could get those Godzilla movies on the weekend. Or oh, yeah. I, could get, I could get somebody else's sci-fi theater. and. Um, you know, I, I live for that stuff. As today, you know, you can watch Godzilla on demand, you can watch whatever you want, but then it was like this obsession where I, you know, it's it a prize for having worked so hard to, to turn your, uh, tune your TV in to get to watch all this. But, you know, and uh, I, when I was young, Star Wars came out. I was there, you know, the early Star Wars was one of the first movies I remember seeing in a theater and Battlestar Galactica on TV. So, you know, I've always loved the possibilities of sci fi. And, you know, horror has always been sort of another genre I like, and I love mixing them together where you can look at, you know, you can look at something like Godzilla and put it in either category. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've really, I think that's been my main one. I've, I've never really been into, you know, writing horror and, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the gross out, the, the, you know, the slasher book or, or whatever. Um, I, I'm uh, one of those people who will watch a horror movie, you know, a real horror movie through his with his hands over his eyes and look at it through his fingers, you know. So <laughs> I, I, I like it, I, but I'm not a, a big writer of it. And you mentioned those covers. Um, the ones that I've done for the books I've done for uh, dogs that are books and, and uh, brought out screaming press. Most of them have been done by uh, an artist named Bradley Sharp from the UK. He was uh, when they launched this sci fi wing from his publisher, they uh, had contracted him to do all of the covers. And I think he's done all but maybe a couple with them and you know, he, he'll, he'll uh, work with the author. He'll send you a questionnaire and he'll ask you what he, you like about his work and, and how you feel something in his work might read to your book. And uh, he'll go through that questionnaire and just, you know, do it all himself. And uh, like I said, I think he's done just about all the books for or all the covers for them. And he's certainly done all of mine, except for the one that's with a different publisher, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did Oddman out. He did uh, the one that's coming up and he also did Indelible Ink for me. Uh, and my poetry collection was another artist, but yeah, he, he normally, you know, he, he'll knock it out of the park just about every time. So I'm very thrilled with his work. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're fantastic. And I mean, these are, I, I could see if I ran into you at a con somewhere, I'd probably be spending an awful lot of time at your table and probably, <laughs> probably would be broke by the time I left. So, <laughs> well, you know, when they first launched this, I, uh, I got some really good, uh, reviews on my first book, Oddman Out, which like I said, he did the cover. Uh, from, you know, some really big places like, uh, you know, book list and stuff like that. And people were pretty impressed. And I said, well, I think, first of all, I had a good cover that 
somebody would find that in a pile and say, okay, maybe I'm going to open this up and check it out. Whereas if I had had, you know, a, a dreary cover or, or so-so cover, it might not got a, gotten a review just because, you know, somebody just didn't, it didn't catch somebody's eye, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I put a lot of credit to him for having terrific covers and the publisher, obviously, for, for helping, for all the stuff they do. Fantastic. So now your, your new book, uh, The Boogeyman's Intern, coming out yeah. uh, June 1st. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I see where it's been uh, likened to Monsters, Inc. meets Chinatown. That's, yeah. I love that. <laughs> that is favorite. awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's my, uh, that was one of the first uh, authors that gave me a blurb, and I just love that so much. <laughs> and uh, I think another place likened it to an adult Monsters, Inc., which is great. I think it's, it's fairly apropos. I mean, I wrote it, uh, uh, the first draft, the original early, early version of this was written probably before Monsters, Inc. came out. So that's almost you know, I think it was around 2000, 2001, and I kind of set it aside. I, I'd gotten a, um, a, uh, I, I'd gotten an agent from it, and the, uh, the agent left the business before we, could, before we could do anything with it. So I was really discouraged and set it aside. And then when I started actually getting some novels published, I, I went back to it, completely rewrote it, changing a few of the angles in it. And uh, it's, uh, I'm thrilled that it's finally coming out. I mean, that, that's a long, that's a long, long road to publication. I'm sure people have had longer, but. You know, we're talking about you know 15 years or so since it's been finished, or at least the original version was. But it's I, I had so much fun writing it. Um, it, it is very much like, uh, sort of a monster's thing where we're talking about all these things that people dream up or imagine the uh, you know, like the old gods that people used to worship that you know the sun what made the sun rise you know what made the storms what made the wind you know uh, Norse and Greek gods are mentioned in there. But then also things like uh, Bigfoot and uh, and uh, the Tooth Fairies, and they're pretty prominently uh, the big part. The main character is obviously Boogeyman. So you take all these things that people have had, uh, you know, dreamed up at one point or another, and they all sort of live somewhere else when they're not interacting on this world. So they also get kind of bored having done this for so long, or they get, you know, uh, complacent in their jobs or whatever, and they have to find a new job. So we follow this guy, Abe, who's, a, uh, who's an imaginary friend who is getting really bad at it and they decide he needs a new job and so we we kind of start there with a brief hunt for a job and another one and a job is being kind of thrust on him so he's kind of stuck doing that something he doesn't really want to do something nobody else has done and uh, he's just got to kind of find his way along there so this imaginary friend uh, gets his friend who's a Bigfoot and another friend who's a, who's a boogeyman to help him out with this invest is uh, he has to do an investigation of a crime basically and uh, has no clue where to start, has no clue where to go, and his friends have even less of a clue. So we kind of take it from there in this investigation, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, it was fun to write, and it sounds like it's fun to read. So hopefully people enjoy this. You know, Boogeyman I was the original title, and it got moved to the Boogeyman's intern when it got rewritten, just to uh, you know sort of spice it up and make it sort of different. You know, you had so I see I saw so many books with titles like uh, the Whatever Assistant or you know the the uh, you know and things like that that I thought it'd be kind of fun. No one ever writes a book about an intern for this sort of job. So, um, so that's where I went. I thought it'd be, uh, at least catchy for a title. Yeah, uh, definitely is that. And then, and, and once again, I mean, you got a cover on there. It looks like something from Pixar. So yeah, it, yeah. it's, it's really cool. And I was really impressed. Like, uh, the colors he used on those are really odd colors, but they work so well for this book. And it makes such an eye catching cover that uh, again, I have to thank Brad for that. Um, but yeah, it has our three main characters right there on the cover, and they all look a little bit <laughs> uh, uh, bewildered, I guess, is, the, is the, the, the word for it. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think again they did a terrific job. So I mean, and you kind of touched on this before. So you're very inspired by your childhood and oh, and absolutely stuff growing up. Yeah, I think I mentioned when I, you know my, my poetry collection. A lot of that is based on like cartoons and, and old movies I watched. But I think all of my books are, are in one way or another sort of you know born from that from my childhood. This one in particular, uh, the Boogeyman's Intern. I loved reading those books when I was a kid about you know the Bigfoot books or the unexplained books you know back for, that were written in the '60s and oh, I was reading yes. them in the '70s. You yeah, know. Yeah, you know, I, I forget who the author was. There was one guy that just had tons of them. Every time I went to the library, I got a new one. This one's about ghosts, and this one's about, you know, there's all stuff I just loved reading. And it would sit there and go, I wonder if that's real. Is there really a big, is a, this guy really see a ghost? And, you know, I, I just really enjoyed all of that stuff, read everything I could get my hands on. So, you know, when I when I go to write, that's the sort of stuff I, I tap into is, you know, just my love of reading all those books. Um, and, you know, going to the library and finding something new every time on a different subject of, you know, the Bermuda Triangle this time. And, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just something new all the time. Whereas now, if I sat down on my computer, I could probably download all those books in you know, 10 minutes and, and start reading on my uh, if I got the chance, I'd read one one every once in a while on my phone or whatever. Then it was it was a mission, you know. When you went to the library, you had to go back, and you know you had to return this. And you had that read by the time, you know, you had to take it back. So, oh yeah, you know, the, the library was always just a you know a great motivator for me because I didn't want to have to take it back late. You know? So, oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think we're from from probably the same uh, uh, time frame growing up. So I mean, I remember uh, junior high and high school uh, having library time, and you go down mm-hmm. and, and you just they were like, okay, for the next hour, we're going to be here in the library find something to read and and sure. i i remember those books of going and finding the the uh, lost creatures and and different things uh, you find something bigfoot i remember uh going to the dewey decimal system and looking up okay uh-huh. what, what books have bigfoot in the name and right and uh coming across uh oh gosh i think i was in fifth grade when i came across uh the boy who saw bigfoot by marion t place and oh yeah i, I ended up buying that <laughs> when i got became an adult just because really I gave it to my kids I was like okay you guys have All to read right. this this is yeah, there's yeah. a newer one uh, that I gave to my son. I think it's called The Littlest Bigfoot or something like that. It's oh, uh, okay. yeah. a series. I think there's two of them. Um, and I'm blanking on the author's name, unfortunately, but he loved it. You know, I'm like, okay, good. I've got, I've got him hooked. You know, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta hook the next, hook the other kid, and we're good. But yeah, yeah, those are all just exactly. You know, I, I think we're, we're probably from rough, about that same era. It was just, you know, a treasure. You know, it was either okay. that or something humor. You know, it was like a Mad Magazine. <laughs> compilation or something. I was always reading something fun, you know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, then when I went to college, I worked in a comedy club. I was a waiter in a comedy club, you know. And so that was another great job for someone who just liked humor and liked watching people make things up, you know. Uh, you could, you, you would work there, and the whole week you would watch a, a comedian come in, and, and you know the really good ones were polishing their act or changing something around. You could watch. Them sort of edit a joke on the fly, you know, when something didn't work, or you could watch since you saw the night before, you know, when they were trying something different. So that was sort of, I don't know, my first uh, introduction to improv, you know, where you could watch somebody try different things in a story they might be telling on stage, and you know, I was fascinated by that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, so Boogeyman's interns coming out June first. What do you have? Yeah. Uh, what do you have coming up? Anything? Uh, what's next? Well, um, I uh, I have a sequel to my first book. Uh, my first book's Odd Men Out. I've got a sequel that I'm uh, 99% done with to that one uh, that uh, I'm hoping to get done within the next month or so. And 
uh, give it another edit and then send it off to uh, an editor to, to finish it up for me. And that's pretty exciting because I really like that world. And my, like I said, my first book took place uh, in the uh, Ottoman Alps, took place in the Civil War era, took place on the, the uh, West Coast. And uh, it, was, it was just a blast to write and to uh, research that era and that area of uh, the country during the, that Civil War. Mm-hmm. So I, I love going back to that. I mean, there was a lot of stuff I already had, you know, from the first book, but I was adding some more things in. And uh, so research, I loved it. I was a reporter for a while, so I loved doing research. And I think, you know, a lot of writers who were into the history, you know, love doing that research to get it right. You know, yeah. um, I wanted to get the weapons right. And, and as, a, as sort of an alternate history, I wanted to be able to get the weapons right, but still be able to change them uh, uh, reasonably, you know, be able to explain why. This has changed in my time or timeline or whatever. And one of the things in this book, uh, in fact, it was uh, I originally had this uh, beginning, and then I found out that uh, Alcatraz Prison was functioning during the Civil War, and so I thought, okay, well, I've got to, I've got to make that happen. That's got to be in this oh, book. Wow. So I started doing all this research and wasn't finding enough, uh, you know, uh, resource material for it. So I ended up going to the park system and emailing the park rangers that are there on Alcatraz Island now, or they're in charge of it and asking them all kinds of questions. And they sent me links to maps from that time, and they sent me you know, all kinds of stuff. So uh, it was a thrill to connect with them and find out more and more about uh, this area. And it just you know, really made me want to use it even more. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to go back to the Civil War and, and the little uh, world I've created there. Most likely, uh, if I can get it in, in the next uh, month or oh, probably two months, well, it'll come out early next year, maybe mid-next year. Um, in the meantime, I, there's another thing coming out that I don't think I've mentioned to you, uh, even when we were talking earlier. And that is uh, a project called uh, 555. And I had a guy that I knew, this will be the third book in his series. His publisher contacted me and said, hey, I've got an idea for you. If you're interested, we'd like to have you on board. I said, okay. And he said, I need you to write. Now, like I said, I've written short poetry and things like that before. I have this anthology where I have the writers write 55, 55-word stories. I'm like, wait a minute. So you're saying you want me to write 55 stories that are 55 words in length? And I said, well, I can probably, I can probably do that. And he said, okay, you've got two months. Uh, it was like October, and he said, I think it might be December. So I said, sure. And I sat down, and you're like, oh, there are 55 word stories. You know, how how hard can that be? Well, first of all, getting them exactly 55 words was a big uh, problem. You know, okay. um, to have that word count and then make it work out exactly. I mean, you could have as many words as you wanted in the title, but you had. 55 words in the uh, in the story itself. So a lot of it was poems I had started and hadn't finished, and I, I took them and changed them you know, to make them more of a story or, or you know ideas I'd had before that just wouldn't work into something else. And I'm like, okay, well, this little kernel of an idea isn't going anywhere anyway, so let me rework that and see if it'll fit. So I made the deadline, and, and uh, I was thrilled that I did. It was uh, it was crazy. I know to write 55 stories in, in two months, you know, it's like a story a day almost, you know. Uh, so it, it worked out, but it, it should be a really fun collection because he really didn't set a lot of parameters. He's like, you know, we're looking for stories, you know, if they're kernels of stories or how you do it. Uh, the excitement in it, I think, is seeing what, I think there's five or six different, probably five, if it's five, 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 um, five authors see what they do with 55 stories that are 55 words long, you know. So I think it should be a blast to check out. Yeah. Oh, wow. That does sound pretty cool. I want to say that's going to hit the shelves or it's going to be available. Uh, he was just talking about it the other day. So I'm thinking probably end of July, maybe early August, but I'm not positive that's even giving me a release date. 
Outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let us know whenever uh, when you know that, and uh, we'll make Absolutely. sure to put that up on uh, on our Facebook page. So, so listeners, so listeners, make sure that you're obviously be following Matt, but also come on over to the uh, Sample Chapter Podcast Facebook page, and uh, we'll share that over there as well. All right. Well, hey, Matt, it's been it's been awesome talking to you, and uh, Thank you. I mean, I, I think we could probably spend a couple hours going back. <laughs> yeah. Talking about uh, growing up in the '80s and the '70s and all. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, at, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I, I think the listeners are probably waiting for your chapter, so I will get out of the way and hand the floor over to you. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Matt Betts with a chapter from where is it here? Uh, Boogeyman's Intern. <laughs> all right, thanks. All right, so I think what I'm gonna do is uh, I'm not gonna start at the beginning. Uh, kind of cheating there. I'm gonna uh, come in about chapter five. So we've already been introduced to our main characters. We've got uh, Abe is our main guy. He's the, like I mentioned earlier, he's this uh, imaginary friend who's kind of down on his luck. Um, we have uh, Brady, uh, who is uh, the Bigfoot character. And I think the other one we need to know for this chapter is Sarah, who is kind of uh, uh, Abe's uh, friend, girlfriend, I guess. Um, I guess we can call him that. If they're all imaginary, we can still call her his girlfriend. <laughs> And uh, I think we can just go from there. Uh, hopefully I don't throw anything at you that, that I forgot to explain. Uh, so chapter five. First, I thought the continuous tapping coming from the living room was something that Sarah was doing. But after getting out of bed, I realized that sometime in the night, Sarah must have gone home. I was alone in a cold apartment. The noise turned out to be someone lightly knocking at my front door with the ferocity of a field mouse. I opened it to find Brady staring at me with suspicious eyes like slits. Bad time? No, it's fine. Eyes still narrow. You sure? My eyes were also beginning to narrow. Positive. What can I do for you? I'm here to take you to work, he said. Weren't we supposed to meet up somewhere to discuss this? Somewhere not here? Didn't want you to be late for your first day. He held up a half-squished muffin in his hand and a cup of something steamy in the other. Once he started talking, his face brightened up and he smiled. It's not my first day. I haven't picked a new career yet. Big, Bigfoot smile. He still looked thrilled to be talking to me. Well, no, but it is your first day without a job. First day of unemployment. Great. Awesome, I said. If it's any consolation, it should be your last day without a job. Thanks, but I can find my own way. I wondered if it would be rude to take the muffin and slam the door in his face. I doubt I could get it shut with his giant frame in the way. Yeah, but I realized after we talked that I never told you where to go. Sure, you could have found it eventually, but I didn't want you to be late on your first day. That wouldn't look good. He held the drink in the muffin out closer to my face, ready to get going. Bigfoot was a morning person. Joy. On the way over to personnel, Brady blathered on about a million things at once, none of which I caught fully. He talked quickly, and his voice got high at times, unbearably so. I wondered how Sarah was and, and felt bad that uh, we hadn't had a chance to talk the night before. Morning mist the hill looked desperately and densely beautiful. It occurred to me that I hadn't been up this early in some time. I'm sure I enjoyed getting up and taking a morning walk at some point in my existence. Not recently, but I did once. We walked across the stone-lined square, Brady still yammering. The fleeting quiet was interrupted by the tromping of footfalls echoing off the buildings. As they grew louder, four boogeymen came into view not a dozen feet away. They were jogging in unison, or maybe it was a fast march. Their feet fell in time, creating a percussive rhythm and making the mist part before them. Brady stopped to follow them as well, and he watched me watch them. 
you could be working with them soon enough, he said. He didn't sound sure or excited about it for me, merely factual. They could always use new people. I grunted and kept watching as the men disappeared back into the gray morning. And when I thought about it, I wasn't so excited for me either. But my options weren't multitudinous at the time. The personnel department was just as dark and dreary as we'd left it the night before. We walked to the front door where I checked in at the desk with my best sarcastic smile for Brady. His return smile was annoyingly genuine. Let me show you to my desk. We can start going through my files and maybe make a profile for you. He was genuinely excited to get started, and it showed. We could complete a Form BD4 questionnaire, maybe even read over a T69 profile. We turned and started down a hall, only to be blocked by a duo of men. In the front was a very large, very bald man with an even larger and somehow balder woman behind him. Both wore black uniforms with traces of red lining their sleeves. Brady was flustered when they moved a block his way. Excuse me. They moved in front of him again as he made to go around them. Can we help you guys? I asked, not really seeing the comedic stylings of the three go on. Messenger, the man said. Messenger from who? High Council. High Council has a message for me, I asked. The High Council hadn't met in ages. Why would they be meeting now, and what could they possibly want with me? I don't know what they want with you, he said. I was sent to get you and make sure you came to them immediately. Uh, we have an appointment. Uh, I need to speak with him about his career options. The disappointment in Brady's voice was obvious. I'm sure this won't take long, I told Brady. Even the High Council wouldn't dare delay my quest for a meaningful path to gainful employment. I moved from Brady's side to stand between the messenger and his friend. And when they moved, I followed Ball while Balder trailed me. We left the building and followed Old Hag Avenue, then Ferry Ring Circle to the edge of town. From there, our path could be lined with trees and eventually led to the enormous castle that occupied most of the west side of the hill. The path crossed a rainbow bridge, a horribly named stretch of path that crossed over the only body of water on the hill. We called it the River Styx, and why wouldn't we? We figured that since it was the only one we had, we might as well go big, you know? What were we going to call it, the Mississippi? Shit, the river flowed from a cave near one side of the castle and ended in a waterfall dropping over the edge of the hill. In it, you could find the majority of the sea creatures, at least those that didn't have their own private pools in their quarters or a good-sized bathtub. It was a long enough walk to allow me to enjoy the luxury of wondering why would I possibly be sent for and why the council was even meeting. The council had never met in all the time I'd existed on the hill. I suppose they could have met me in secret, but why? They were the three imaginaries upon which everything else was founded. The originals. The basics. They were the Beatles with Pete Best. They began moving in a, a way to corral the populace when masses of imaginaries started showing up. They came up with rules and standards and codes for everyone and everything, how replacements were selected, what they needed in order to meaningfully participate in the lives of the otherworlders, how to acclimate new arrivals, when to recycle the old. After a while, everything seemed to be covered, so they just stopped meeting. They didn't disappear, become hermits, or make some big showy announcement. They just stopped meeting together and went on with their existence. The term, the council, became antiquated and quaint. I didn't exactly get the grand tour. I was ushered over the bridge, through the wide wooden front doors, into a dusty courtyard. What I saw of the place was wonderful. The area around the castle was brighter and more colorful than the rest of the hill. They weren't the usual moody mists and dreary clouds that pervaded the common grounds. There were natural lights flooding the whole area with its warmth. 
It felt like I was standing on the other world beneath a blue summer sky with a light breeze blowing across my neck. It smelled like freshly cut grass. The strange thing about the courtyard was nobody but me and my two guides were there. The rest of the hill was permanently dark and chilly, gloomy and drab, yet here was prime real estate without a goddamn soul to enjoy it. Like a beach after a shark attack or a ski resort after a sudden thaw, it was the greatest spot on the hill, and it was going to waste. Let's go, let's go, Bald said. We're in a hurry, remember? I was herded through the arch an arch to climb the stone steps just inside. The stairway opened into a hall, and Bald stopped and gestured toward the door at the end. Balder stayed at the top of the stairs. Please, he gestured again, pointing the, pointing the way. When I was within a dozen steps of Bald, he gave a tug and quickly pulled the door open. He then swooped his right arm around the room with a flourish of his hand, as though he were revealing fabulous treasures. I took a deep breath, straightened my shirt, ran my hands across it to remove dust and wrinkles, and took a big step through the doorway. The room was larger than I expected, with dark recesses that weren't obvious to really search for them. The ceiling was so high that six yetis standing on each other's shoulders couldn't touch the thick wooden beams running across it. Unlit torches stuck in the walls throughout the room. They were unnecessary with all the light coming into the massive window across the room. The same sort of wonderful light I saw in the courtyard streamed through it and fell on a long, colorful rug in the middle of the room. The rug showed various scenes of the moons and stars, knights and dragons, lions and horses. On either side of the room were heavy, open tables lined with long wooden benches. A cloth covered the whole table, and several candelabra were placed at intervals along it. Two figures, a man and a woman, sat talking at the table to the right while another man paced at the far corner of the room, staring out the great window. The woman wore a plain white robe that ended near her ankles and had a wreath of leaves and berries sitting crookedly on her head. She was wonderful to look at, beautiful with bright eyes, delicious pink lips, and long chestnut hair pinned up in braids. I could make out the small signs of age creeping into her face, like little bags under her eyes and wrinkles in her cheeks, but they only seemed to enhance her beauty. She fixed her wreath as I got closer and laughed, smacking the person next to her on the arm. Her laugh was gentle and quiet like a breeze blowing through the room, making everything lighter, like it might take flight and blow out an open window she laughed much harder. The man she was talking to seemed much older. He was tall and sat hunched over, playing with his long white beard as he talked. He wore what appeared to be a gray sweatsuit with the hood pulled back. The light also made it hard to make out the details of the person by the window, except that he, they occasionally swung their arm and shook their head. Oh, hello, hello, come in, come in, the old man said as he stood. We've been expecting you. He smiled as he got up, came around the table to meet me. I'm so glad you could come. I met him at the table and, and stuck out his hand to shake mine. I'm very glad you could come. I didn't know I had a choice. I'm glad, too, but the messenger wasn't real clear on what you wanted from me. Oh, I'll explain in a moment. First, I'll get your drink. Yes, he asked. I understand they call you Abe. May I? Sure, whatever you feel comfortable with. It doesn't matter to me, and I'm... Not thirsty, thanks. Great, great, great. Abe, I'm Father Time. I'm the president of the council right now. He took me by the arm and pulled me to the far end of the table. Uh, Abe, this is Mother Nature. She's currently the council's VP, as they say. Mother Nature shook my hand and shook it lightly before releasing it. A pleasure to meet you, Abe. She smiled flatly and nodded. It's nice to, before I could finish, Father Time physically turned me to face the last council member. The large figure descended a few steps from the window. He wore a long, dark robe with a wide hood that obscured his entire face. He walked with his hands behind his back. Father Time gestured toward the figure with his hands. Abe, this is death, I said. It wasn't a question. There was simply no way to be unsure of who the man was. The legend preceded him. 
he had an air about him as if gravity itself were somehow thicker. Thicker? Sure. Yes, yes, very good. Death, the Grim Reaper, whatever. He answers to all of them. He lets a few of us call him Morty, but I'd wait before trying it out for yourself, Father Time said. He used to be the council's treasurer, but he wasn't any good at it, and of course we don't use money anyway, so it was kind of an honorary title, really. I've been trying to come up with some a new title for him, the old man sighed. He gets bored so easily. Death came toward me, and though I couldn't see his eyes under the hood, I knew he was watching me, studying me, sizing me up. I'd never even seen death on the streets, let alone stood face to face with him. It was good to know that we at least had something in common, poor math skills. When he got up within a few feet of me, I could see he was bringing his hands out from behind his back. The right one came out quickly, as if to shake my hand. It was pale and thin, and it jutted out from the billowing sleeves of his dark robe. As I reached out to shake it, his left one came around from his back. It wasn't empty. I saw part of a wooden handle and nearly ran, afraid death was about to smite me with his driven side. I relaxed when it turned out to be a tennis racket in his other hand, an old, ratty, wooden tennis racket. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to startle you, Death said. Uh, a lot of people have that reaction. He grabbed my hand as though he thought I might withdraw it and pumped it a few times. I was playing a few sets with Zeus this morning when I got the word. Getting my ass kicked, too. I think my problem is my backhand. I can't seem to get the speed I get with the forearm. You ever think maybe the rope gets in the way? Hmm, I hadn't considered that. Maybe I'll... All right, you two. Let's have a seat and get to work, Father Time said. Oh, I nearly forgot. Abe, you've met the director, haven't you? He gestured behind me with a nod of his head. I turned, and the director emerged from an alcove I hadn't noticed when I came in. I was startled, seeing him again. I thought you three were the only ones in the council, I said. He was still imposing, to be sure, but in the outside of the office, in the presence of these others, he seemed almost normal. His face was a map of veins and jutting bone, amplified by the lighting in the room. He wore what appeared to be a very comfortable sweater. Yes, yes, we are. The director is just sort of here in an advisory capacity. Father Time, Mother Nature, and Death took their seats on one side of the great wooden table. The director patted me on the shoulder and sat opposite them at the far end of the bench, and then patted the area next to him, indicating where he wanted me to sit. And that was Matt Betts reading Chapter 5 from The Boogeyman's Intern. <laughs> hey, it's coming out coming out June 1st, just a couple days away, so make sure you hop on over to Amazon or wherever it is you like to shop for books and reserve yourself a copy today. Hey, don't forget to follow the links in the show notes if you want to find out more about Matt. Uh, like us on Facebook, and uh, we, we're going to make sure and share things over there as well. If you would, please rate us on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen. It really does help others find our show. And uh, don't forget to subscribe because uh, you don't want to miss another episode like next week when we have another author, another story, and another sample chapter. Bye.